We are in the Gospel of Mark. We're working through it. We're in uh, uh, chapter 4. If you want to go, if you've got the blue Bibles there, uh, you're going to go to page 601 is where you're going. Uh, Otherwise, if you have your own Bible, you're going to Mark 4, and verse 21 through 25 is where we'll be going tonight. So, um, and by the way, if you do not own a Bible... Or if the Bible you own at home just is, is, is you read it and it just doesn't make any sense to you, it's just, then, then, and you like this one, take it. It's our gift to you. That's why they're there. Okay? So here we go. Now, um, before we jump into the text, I mean, as a pastor, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years, and, and, and one of the questions I get again and again as a pastor is, what is God's will for my life? Right? I get this all the time. In other words, what am I supposed to be doing? Right? Uh, what, what am I supposed to be doing for God? Right? I hear this, that we've all got different talents, we all have different gifts. Well, what are mine and how can I serve God? What is God's will for my life? Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I move to this town? Should I? And, and, and that's, we're going to talk about that tonight. And one of the things that we never talk about is the prerequisite to that. There's some work you have to do before you can even get there. Uh, 21 through 25. Then Jesus asked them, Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Well, of course not. Now remember, lamps back then, by the way, were fire. And so if you put a fire under your bed, you get more fire. Um, uh, Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. And you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Now, there's a lot there. Now, the first thing you have to do to understand these these four verses here, four or five verses, is number one, that in the Old Testament, which was Jesus' Bible, right? Jesus' Bible was an Old Testament, right? And and in, in the Old Testament, light meant God, Okay, It meant God. It meant God or it meant God's Messiah or, or it meant God's way. But it was always connected to God and His way. So when it's talking about shining a light, it's not the light is not your talent. The light is not your gift. The light is definitely not you. The light is God. You, and so what he's saying here is this. This, and you can look at how when he, when he uses this parable in several other instances, you can go to the different Gospels and see the, the different ways he puts this. But the, what, basically what Jesus is saying is, your life is about bringing the light of God to others before the world. That is what your life is about. That is it. If you're not doing that, you're not living life. The life that God gave you, and God gave it to you. It was not just that your parents loved each other and had you and all that kind of stuff. That is not why you are here. The Bible is very clear that God actually knit you together in your mother's womb. He made you. He made everything about you. You you, He is your creator, and at the end of time, He will be your judge. What does that mean? He owns you. You belong to Him. 
so. Life is about what you do for Him. You will be judged by how you take this light, how you take God to others. And that is all. You will not be judged on how much money you make, how much education you have, right? How nice your lawn is. Thank goodness. Dogs love to pee on mine for some reason. Satan sends them. So, you, this is not what you will be judged on. You will be judged on what you do for God. And God says that, it, what's amazing about this verse, it says that those who get this will get more and more of it. The more you understand that your life is about God, it is all about God, it is all about honoring God, it is all about glorifying God, it is all about serving God, worshiping God, that those who understand that will get closer and closer and closer and closer to God. Those who, it, it, those who don't understand that will not get more knowledge of God. So you can go, and I know people like this, right? I went to seminary and I had professors who had PhDs in Hebrew Bible, they had PhDs in New Testament, they had PhDs in philosophy, they could read five or six, sometimes one guy I knew read ten different languages. And I am telling you this, he, they have absolutely less knowledge about God than many of you. Because you can rack up all that, but if you do not, if God is not the center of your life, if bringing glory and honor to God is not the center of your life, you cannot really know God, no matter how much you know about the Bible, history, Greek, Hebrew, all that kind of stuff. It's all about whether or not to glory and glorify God. It's all about that, and you will be judged by that. But is that your life right now? It's not mine, all right? I am the chief of sinners. I am not up here wagging my, if I'm wagging my finger at you, I am wagging it at me. I spend most of my time thinking about me. You guys don't spend most of your time thinking about me? I'm the only one? Shame on you. Um, no, this is what we do, right? We spend most of our time thinking about ourselves. We don't spend most of our time thinking about God, which means God's not the center of our life. We're at the center of our life. Right? And the only problem with that is we make lousy gods. Do we not? Right? I know people want to be their own God, right? We want to be our own. I, I, my, I love the way my friend Pastor J.C. Church puts it, which is the best name for a preacher ever, J.C. Church. Think about it for a second, right? <laughs> that is his name, and he was not raised in a Christian home, but God predestined that one. I don't care if you're Calvinist or Arminian. So anyway, there is... Um, and so J.C. Church says all the time, he says, he had people come to him and they say that they're Christians, but they're like, I want to do this. Well, that's against God's word, but I just feel like I want to do that. And he's like, look, you're not God. Right? If you want to do those things, go speak your own world into existence and rule that one. But in this one, God owns it. It's His. Right? But we don't do that. We spend most of our time thinking about ourselves. And we spend most of our time thinking about how we can make ourselves happier. How we can make ourselves happier. How many people here are 100% completely happy, never sad, never discontent, life is paradise? Raise your hands. Exactly. And so we spend most of our life thinking about how we can make it better for us. 
Do we not? Right? And we spend our life chasing things and people and titles and all this other kind of stuff to try to make us happier. There's a joke. It's a little risque. Um, sorry. But I'm preaching, so you should have known that coming in. So, a, a, a wife is in the shower, and she hears the doorbell ring. And her husband is on the phone. And so she starts to run down, and she realizes that she's just gotten out of the shower. So she grabs a towel real quick, and she wraps the towel around herself, and she goes, and she answers the door. And there at the door is their next-door neighbor, a guy named Bob. And Bob sees that the wife is there with nothing on but a towel, can hear the husband upstairs on the phone and says, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I've always thought you're the most beautiful thing in the world. I have $500 here. I will give you $500 if you just drop the towel for one minute. She thinks about it. Husband's up on the phone. $500. She drops the towel. Stands there. Guy says, thank you very much. Hands her $500. She picks up the towel. She goes back upstairs. Husband gets off the phone. Says, who is that at the door? Says, that was Bob. Oh, good. Did he give you the $500 he owes me? Um, <laughs> See, what happens in our life is we often run after things and, and we think we're getting something, but we're really getting nothing. Right? So we run after the job. We run after a certain amount of money. We run after a certain kind of relationship. We run after all these different things. We think they'll make us happy. We get them, and there's still an emptiness. There's still a depression. There's still a discontent. What have we got? Nothing. Nothing. We think we've gotten something, but we've got nothing. What do we do about this? There is a um, psychoanalyst... Um, named Jacques Lacan. You have to forgive that he's French. He can't help that. But, but Jacques Lacan is a child psychologist, and he, he argues that we have two different births. Okay? Now, he's not religious, so he's not talking about, talking about being born again. He's, he's a secular psychologist, but he believes we have two different births. The first birth is the physical birth, right? Um, everyone here went through that, right? In some way, shape, or form. Um, the second is when the, the birth of selfhood, identity. This happens in what psychologists call the mirror phase. Those of you who are parents have seen this when a child realizes that they're looking in the mirror and they're seeing themselves, right? That they are a person. That they are a person separate and apart from their surroundings, from their mother, from all this. They are an individual now, what Lacone argues is that the moment that happens, there's actually stress and depression start to actually, in various degrees, start to enter a person's life. It, he, he calls it the gap. And he argues that most of our problems is that the rest of our life, we are trying to close that gap back to where we were before we became a separate person. We are trying to get back to that part. We were totally harmonious in our culture and our surroundings, and we did not feel this pressure to be something apart from it. Make sense? This is what he argues, this gap. Now, I think he's on to something. And here's what I see people doing. 
The moment we fill this gap and we realize that we're a separate person identity, we start to try to build an identity for ourselves. Do we not? At first, our identity is basically based upon what makes us physically comfortable at that moment, right? So a child likes the smell of his or her mother. So when the mother's not around, sometimes a child will just freak out. Ever had a baby you could not calm down, right? You give it food, you rock it, you change its diaper, you offer it cash, nothing helps. It just screams. And then mother comes and it's like, ah, oh. it wants the smell the mother it wants comfort, right? And so from there on it comes, then we, we, we try to build an identity on our parents. We want our parents' approval, and we have this gap. We try, we try to get our identity from pr- uh, uh, making our parents happy. Ever have that kid that's like, Daddy, Daddy, look at me. Mommy, Mommy, look at me, right? Constantly. What do they want? They, they want your approval. They want, they want you to say, that's great. You're great. They feel that gap. They feel that stress. They feel that discontent. Then they go to school and they get friends, right? And then they want to be like their friends, right? I, 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 I thank God my son's friends never discovered Pokemon. Because my sister's nephews all did. And they'd want to show Uncle Matt every single card and describe every single being and every attribute, and it just made me want to die. <laughs> right? But they come home with this stuff, right? They, now they want to please their friends. Whatever is going on, they want to be like their friends. What are they doing? They're constructing identity. They're trying to fill that gap. There it is. Come on. I'm, I'm trying to make myself into something. Then it becomes groups, right? Then it becomes, it doesn't even matter what your friends are doing. Sometimes you, you hit that period like junior high, high school, where it's like, you realize, it, are, are my friends the coolest? If they're not, who are? And i got to be like that, right? Or you get mad that you're not like that, and so you try to be the anti-that, right? So you have those two kids, and you define yourself that way, don't you? You, you define yourself. And then you go on, and it's about then, it's about peers, it's about, you know, then it becomes about your parents, your friends, your, everybody you're trying to please. You're trying to build up this resume, you're trying to try to do this. I mean, most people, when they go to the gym, are they really there for their health? Right? I have yet to be in the life center and hear somebody going, oh, thank God my blood pressure's lower. They don't say that, right? They say, I lost five pounds. Why do they want to lose five pounds? To look better to other people. So other people will look at them and say, you look better. And then they feel better about themselves. What are they trying to do? They're still trying to close that gap. Right? Except, here's what I would argue where Lacan misses it. The gap that we feel is very real. But the gap that we feel comes from the fact, not that we are separate and apart from our surroundings and our parents, but that we are separate and apart from God. We are apart from God, and therefore, no matter what we do, 
We will never, ever close that gap on our own. We do not have the power within ourselves to close that gap. What do we do? What do we do? Are you with me? Does that make sense? And do you see that? Right? You, it, th- there's a reason why Hollywood's, it doesn't shock us when we hear that a Hollywood star or athlete lawyer has committed suicide or overdosed. Right? The gap is there. No matter how pretty you are, how much money you have, that gap is always gap. It started a long time ago. It started a long time ago. started in the Garden of Eden, and we've been dealing with it ever since. Do you know why we build identities? How many of you have ever seen this? Have you ever seen somebody trying to build a new identity? I, I, I've, seen, I've seen friends that like I went to high school with, and they go off to college And they go off to to college and they find out what was cool in Portsmouth, Ohio is not necessarily what's cool on High Street. Shocker, right? And so they begin to dress differently. They begin to listen to different music. They begin to put down the movies they liked when they were in high school, all that kind of stuff, right? You're like, what happened to you? The gap, right? The gap. And, and, and what's so seductive about building our own identity, right, is that it gives us some control. It makes us feel like we have some control, right? So if you just decide, if, if you just like, okay, um, I'm going to like alt-indie rock, for God knows what reason, and I, you know, and, and you just like, I'm going to like alt-indie rock, so I'm going to go to like Pitchfork, and it's going to tell me what to like. Right? And, and, and so I will go to Pitchfork, and it will tell me what to like. It, it has these rankings and the best albums of the year, and I will listen to that, and, that's what be, and that will make me a certain kind of person. Right? Does it not? Of course it does. I, I love, there's a writer by the name of Chuck Klosterman. He's one of my favorite writers, and, and he argues that, that in the 1980s, there were two kinds of kids. Right? There were the metal kids... And they were the alt-indie kids, right? He doesn't even count the top 40 in country kids, right? Apparently, they, they don't even exist in his world. You know, there is just... And he said, the me, he said you, you listen to metal in the 80s especially. And I remember this. Because there was this myth. It didn't really exist. But there was this thought that people were trying to keep you from listening to metal in the 80s. It was everywhere, but you believed that when, like, Kiss sang that they're trying to keep us down, you're like, yes, they are. Who's they? I don't know, but they're trying to hold me down, and I will show them. (laughs) I will listen to Kiss on cassette in my Ford Ranger truck, and I will stick it to the man. Right? And then you you had the kid who was, like, listening to The Cure, Right? And, and, and they, like, drove, like, a Volkswagen or something. And, and you know, and, 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 and they, they just didn't dress like everybody else. And, you know what I mean? And there was that kid. That's the anti-metal kid. Now, now, 
regardless of whether that music is good or bad. And of course, the metal was awesome. The, it just was. Um, I'll even get Caleb to agree. Master of Puppets? Exactly. So, so. Um, but it gave you an identity. In fact, if you really got into it, each culture would give you a ready-made identity. If you were into metal, you would listen to metal, you would watch Headbangers Ball on MTV on Saturday nights, right, with Ricky Rockman. I still can't figure out how he got that gig. Um, and, and, and you would read Circus Magazine or Hit Parader Magazine, and you would wear black T-shirts, right, and you would have ripped jeans, right, pierce your ear, only your left ear, and you would do that... And, and that's who you are, and you were sticking it to the man, and that's who you were. And ironically, we would think we're being an individual, when in fact, we're getting this ready, pre-made, packaged identity handed to us. And the same thing with the alt-indie rockers, right? It's the same thing. You have this identity, There's this, these, and it still exists. There are these ready-made identities out there which you can pick. And the simple fact is because we feel that gap, we go, give me an identity. Somebody please tell me who I am. Right? Give it to me. Then I can be this person. And Pitchfork will tell me the music I like. Right? And I will buy only clothes from thrift shops. And I will only drive hybrids. And this defines me. The gap. The gap. And we feels like control. And we've been doing that since the Garden of Eden. Now, it feels like we're having control. Here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with all of this. And here's what all this has to do with the parable of, you know, uh, of bringing the light to God. Here's where all this comes from. We build our identities on that gap. And we do it apart from God. So that my love of heavy metal, which has been there since 1983, is there apart from my love of God. Because I wasn't a Christian then. I became a metalhead. And this is part of what defines me. Matt Rawlings, identification, metalhead. Right? I grew up in a home where it was only, you were only allowed to root for the Reds, the Bengals, and the Kentucky Wildcats. And if you did anything other than those three, there's the door. Right? Identity again. I'm a Reds fan. I'm a Bengals fan. I'm a Kentucky Wildcats fan. Identity. I'm a metalhead. And I'm, I'm, I root for these three teams. My parents, when I was eight years old, moved us to Wheelersburg. And suddenly, everybody else inside of county hated me. I didn't choose to move to Wheelersburg. They moved me there. And I was a pirate, for good or for ill. Another piece of the identity. Right? I run away from home. I'm a runaway. And in many people's eyes, for many years, probably still in some, I'm a troublemaker. Right? Identity. This is who I am. But the problem is, in trying to fill that gap, in trying to decide who I am, and grabbing all these things and building up my identity, it was all done apart from God. 
Now, if my identity has been built apart from God, how do I know who I really am? How do I know what my talent is if everything I've done has been apart from God? How? Is that possible? Uh, there is, we have these. We have these books. And, and if you really want one, we will buy one for you. Okay? And, and these books are spiritual gift assessments. So you sit down and, and you take about an hour and you go through this book. And you have to be really honest. And if you're not really honest, it, it, it doesn't matter. You've got to be really honest. And at the end of the book, it tells you what your spiritual gifts are, and it tells you how to use them. There's only one problem with this book. If you have built up an identity totally apart from God, how do you really know what your spiritual gifts are when you don't even really know who you are? Do you even know who you are? If your identity has been totally built by yourself, you are, you are a sinful, broken person like me, and you have built your identity totally apart from a perfect God... When God designed you to be His and to worship Him and bring Him glory, do you even know who you are? Do you even have an identity? So how will you know what your spiritual gifts are? How will you know what to bring, how to bring the light? How best to share the light? You don't know. Because you don't even know who you are yet. You are, I, I can tell you what your spiritual gifts are, but they will be the spiritual gifts of somebody pretending to be you. You are not a person in recovery. You are not, not a reformed evangelical. You are not any of those things. You are God's. And the only way you'll know who you are and what your gifts are is to build your identity from there. You need, what you need to do is to destroy your identity and start with your love of God and build it from there. So that the music you listen to actually comes from, I love God, and here's the music I listen to. I love God, here's what I do with my free time. I love God. Here's what I read. I love God. This is how I dress. I love God. This is what I do for a living. I love God. It all starts with God. That's the only way to bridge that gap. And then only when that gap has been bridged, only when that gap has been bridged, can you start to discover who you really are and what your talents really are. And then you can really come and bring the light to others. And that's what you'll be judged on. So what I'm talking about tonight is only everything. In the end, everything. Because when you're standing before God one day, it won't matter. God will not care when I am standing before Him if I was the first person on my block to have deaf leopards, pyromania, and I was. He will not care that I was a Wheelersburg pirate. He will not care that I lived in Los Angeles for two years. He will not care that I worked in politics. He will not care. He will say, that's all stuff you did. You built this identity for yourself. I made you to love me and to bring me honor and glory. Where is that person? And what has that person done? 
So before any of this starts, you have to smash your false identity. You have to smash that false self. And that starts with one, knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news, the, the, the knowledge of how you come to salvation. And living in gratitude after that and asking the question from their own end, who am I if I love God like this? Who am I if God went to the cross and died on the cross to pay the punishment for my sins? Who am I? If God rose again and gave me his perfect life so I would be judged by that perfect life and nothing else, who am I? That's who you are. Now, I don't do that well. I have not done it well. My guess is you haven't either. But maybe together, as a church, as a community of people who love each other, in prayer, we can figure it out together. Let's pray. Father God, forgive us for creating false selves. Too many of us here, myself included, define ourselves by the music we listen to, the job we have, the family we have, our past, and not by you. We just kind of add you on to our life like the kind of books we like. We add you on to our life like the kind of movies we like. We just add you onto life like you're just another part of our life instead of the very center of it. And what we need to do is to take those cells and maybe those things that we built up, maybe they're not sinful, maybe they don't need to go, but we won't know until we come to you and make you the center of our very existence. And what I pray is that happens. I pray that you will come and you will smash our false selves. You will remake our hearts and minds. Show us who we are and bring us close to you. To love you. To worship you. To serve you. To carry your light before the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.